Uh, my name is Josh. If you don't know me, I've been a member here for close to nine years, and, uh, and it's, yeah, it's been my blessing to be part of this body. So thank you. And that is awesome, too. I love it. Hey, um, you, uh, we're going to be in another psalm, uh, but I want to introduce you to a, to a person first. I'm a history teacher by profession, so I get to th- slide in a little history to kick us off uh, before we open up the psalm. So uh, check out this picture behind me. Kind of cool. If anybody can name who this is, I'll buy you uh, something after church, a donut or something. No? That's okay. It's almost impossible, right? William Beebe. All right, William Beebe. Okay, sure. William Beebe was an explorer, an inventor, a naturalist. Uh, he was a biologist. He was, and even one Halloween, he dressed up as a light, uh, light bulb. It was pretty impressive. No, that was supposed to be a joke. He looks like a light bulb. That was terrible. That was my worst joke I've ever said from stage. Uh, supposed to like ease me, but that's okay. Okay, thank you for the leftover laughs. Uh, But no, for real, that's one of his inventions as a marine biologist. He actually set a record for the deepest dive into the oceans, and it lasted for 13 years, his record. Uh, But it's not so much about him. Yeah, he loved nature, but I want to tell you about a friend of his, and the friend of his you will have heard of, and that's President Teddy Roosevelt. He was good friends with Teddy Roosevelt, also another naturalist at the time in the early 1900s, and together they would hang out. And I heard this story about these two individuals when they would hang out, and it was, it was an, I don't know, it was just incredible to me. They would go out at night when the stars were out, and they would have a challenge. I love competitions. And their competition was who could find the Andromeda galaxy first? You're like, seeing a galaxy? Like, what, we're on Earth, right? The Andromeda galaxy is actually the closest galaxy to the Milky Way, and you can see it with the naked eye. Now, if you have any amount of light pollution, right, if you're close to a city or anything, you cannot. So don't just go try this tonight, right? But if, if the conditions are perfect, you can see it. And so they'd search the night sky for the Andromeda galaxy. And, and sure enough, one would win because somebody would find it early enough. And this is what they would say to each other when they found it. That is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our own. Roosevelt then would would turn to Bibi and say, now I think we feel small enough. Let's go to bed. They would do this as a practice of reverence and awe. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you felt small in a good way where you've been so in awe of creation, you've looked around or you've seen something, maybe, maybe I don't know the scenario, but maybe you've felt similar. Wow, I feel small enough. I can go to bed. I don't know what that moment was for you, but I like asking these questions because I love hearing what you guys have to say. What was a moment that you felt small in a way like that or felt that much awe for the grandeur and the glory of God. Tell your neighbor, maybe the person sitting next to you in front or behind real quick, maybe a moment that you had like these two.
All right. Hey, it's my hope that you have those conversations often. That you maybe point to God or His glory in ways that you've experienced it, and you tell others. I want to tell you one story of how I experienced that about a week ago. Uh, if you could throw the second picture on the screen, that'd be great as well. So a little, whatever, maybe you can't see it completely, but those are my daughters up there, so that's pretty cool. And, uh, and that's at the Shenandoah National Park. Shenandoah, uh, Virginia, right? Northern Virginia. And, uh, and we went there a week ago. We spent a couple days there, and we got to hike in the mountains. And I love mountains. Maybe some of yours were mountain ranges, maybe what you said, right? Maybe it was something big. Maybe it was a starry night. Maybe it was something small, and we'll get to that. But I was here, and we, uh, we got to drive along Skyline Drive, and we got to go up. And this hike, we did a rock scramble, a, a mile, just, just hiking on boulders, jumping from boulder to boulder. And we got to this spot. And we just got to see all the mountains in the background. And I always thought it was a perfect spot to take a picture and to stand in awe. We also got to go into the valley, the Shenandoah Valley. We went down into some caverns. And these caverns were magnificent. Uh, they say that this mountain range is the, the oldest. Some would say the oldest in the world. And, and the bedrock was pushed in such a way that it is vertical. So when you're in a cave, the bedrock is not straight above you, like flat, but it's vertical which allows for kind of some seepage to come through that has created just magnificent stalagmites, stalactites, just these formations. And we stood in awe, both underground and above ground. And we said, man, how wonderful is this? The psalm we're about to read is, is potentially similar, right? It's written by David, and we're presuming that David was recently sitting outside, most likely looking at the stars at night when he penned this psalm or when he wrote this, or when he first thought of it, and then wrote it down. And so we're going to open to Psalm 8, with maybe these stories in mind. Let's go ahead and, uh, and get there, and then I'll, I'll pray before we, uh, before we read it. Let's go ahead and pray, and ask God to teach us something. While we listen, right, can we ask God, what, what do you want to teach us? I thought Caroline was such a cool example, right? Read a psalm. What does God want to teach you through it? What's one truth you can learn about God through this psalm? Let's ask him that right now. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the glory of your creation. Lord, as we open up your word, open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to the truth and the wonders that you want to speak to us right now. What do you want to say to us? Amen. Psalm 8 reads this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which, have, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the Son of Man, that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
I was actually sitting and we said, man, maybe we could just do what they do downstairs. <laughs> right? I said, hey, let's just take a crayon and just write in the back of your program right now. What's one truth, right, that God spoke to you through that? What's one thing that stood out to you? What's one thing that God wants to say to you? Well, we asked. So maybe he wants to say something. Awkward to sit in silence for a little bit. It's awkward for me, too, because I'm on stage. I'm supposed to keep talking. But I'm going to. I want you to listen. What did God want to say to you through that psalm? Go ahead and find that neighbor again. You tell him something. What was the word, the phrase, the image? What did you hear from God through that psalm? Really quickly share that if you wouldn't mind. Thanks. All right. Hey, once again, right, may we make this a practice. If you've been with us this fall, right, we've tried to do this. And I, I'll be honest with you, for me, it's, it's not always been comfortable either, right? I, I like, okay, well, I, I didn't really get something that time, or I'm not sure if that's the right thing I'm supposed to get, or, or, or wait a second. Right? But the practice of sharing out, what can we learn from God's word? What, can we ask him? Can we listen? Can we seek, right? And what do we find in there, Right? What does God want to speak to you through that? So thanks for sharing. Maybe you stuck on verse 1. Maybe you didn't want to get beyond it. I actually, uh, when I first went through the psalm, I'm like, man, verse 1 and 9, so both the beginning and the end, say just how majestic is your name. Just your name. Right? God's name. I was challenged by, uh, by a student, an uh, 11th grader. Uh, I heard her talk. She was talking in front of all of her peers at our, at our school where I teach at, and, and, and she said that all summer she, she prayed to know God's name more. And she said it radically changed her life. Just pray that. How majestic is God's name? Maybe you hung on verse 2, right? I see the Morrisons over there just loving on their little baby. Yeah, I said their name. Hi. Uh, and, and maybe it was like the child and infants, right? The child and infants. And, and, and the lips, the lips of the child and infants brings about praise. And we heard Caroline up here doing that too. And if you hung on verse 2, right, maybe it's like, you're in good company because that's the one verse that Jesus actually quoted when, on Palm Sunday when people were shouting Hosanna and the chief priests were like, shut up, you know. And, and he, said, he said, no, haven't you heard it said? And then he quotes Psalm 8. He says, it's the children who give praise, right? To silence the foe and the avenger. How powerful is it what we saw on the screen earlier today? Ask your children, listen to them, look at them for truth. How much do we often overcomplicate things? But maybe it's verse 3. And this is where I, I stuck. And it was a single word, and it was just the word consider. Consider. How, uh, how not often do we take time to consider? Right? To consider the works of your hands. And so that's where I, I was stuck. 
I love how David started, right? Where, where do we fix our eyes? He even challenges that. I have that written on the front of my Bible. What are you fixing your eyes on today? But I also thought about the different stories of, of creation. Daniel quoted, uh, talking about all things, through all things. God created all things, and through all things, uh, through all creation, it was created for him. It was created from him, it was created for him. Right? Look at creation. Look at it. Even Jesus actually says to consider. Right? There's one point where he says to consider what? Not these big things, not these grand things like the stars and the mountains, right? But to consider the flower, the lily of the fields, right? Consider the sparrow, the bird. Consider. Yeah. Are we feeling anxious? Are we go, go, go? Consider. And he said that, to consider to do this. So I love that word to consider. Back to my trip that I was on, those mountains were actually not one of my favorite parts. My favorite part was kind of a weird moment um, on the trip. I was, uh, I was back in the cabin that we had rented, that we were staying in, and, uh, and it was the one time all weekend uh, that we had the TV on. It was Michigan State football was playing. Go green. Okay. Uh, I know. Whatever. But the, uh, the game was on. So, okay. So I'm sitting in a chair watching it. And my daughter comes up to me, Tiana, she's five, she comes up and she has a ladybug in her hand. And she passes the ladybug to my hand, and then she takes it back. And then she passes it back, and then she takes it back. And I'm barely paying attention. <laughs> I, to be honest with you. And, she, uh, and then she says, Daddy, the ladybug has a broken wing. And she said it with that much awe. And right then I'm like, oh man, I'm missing God. <laughs> I'm like missing the opportunity to stand in awe, to see his creation. And my daughter reminded me. My daughter silenced the foe in the Avenger by giving God praise. Oh, I love that. When was the last time that you paid attention? Pay attention to a, a deep level, right? A level or a depth that you were available to God, right? I think this is what I've been challenged through reading this. Is when I, when I read that word consider, I know that I, I'm not always there, right? Or rarely there. How often do I consider or deeply pay attention? I know we pay attention to stuff. I know we do, right? What do we pay attention to? To-do lists, cell phones, speedometers. You know, we, we pay attention very intently but what are we paying attention to? We're paying attention to our ability to try and manage our own lives. That is the opposite of standing in reverence. And if we, if we do the other, if we, stand, if we stand in awe of mountains or stars or ladybugs, things that I cannot fathom. Can you fathom 750,000 million, sorry, 750,000 light years? Can you fathom that? Can you stare at a mosquito and fathom how they have knee joints? That was a better joy, joke, right? No, but that's for real. You look at it, and you're like, what? What? Right? And, and there are things that you cannot explain, and you just stand, stand in awe and wonder. But no, we, we pay attention to what we want to manage, that we could maybe be God, that we could maybe control if it could only be done faster and easier. But can't we slow down and just consider? My... Uh, my dad told me a story the other day, I was hanging out with him, how he got into his, uh, his hot tub. I know it sounds good right now. Sorry, I'm not trying to make you feel jealous. But he got into a hot tub, and it was pouring rain, and it was cold rain. 
And he, so he put a hat on. He didn't want to just, wasn't going to be under the water the whole time. And he ducked down right to here, right? Right in the hot tub to his neck. And then his hat was here covering up his head. And he saw all these raindrops. And he just started staring at them. And see the drips and these little, like, just explosions right up from the surface of the water. And he was just amazed and in awe. And he told me about it. Like, wow. How cool is God? There's a big yeah, but in this sermon as well, right? Yeah, but. Yeah, but time. Come on. Come on. Time. Like, yeah, pay attention sounds awesome, right? I would love it if I could, on my day-to-day basis, read Psalm 147 and draw a picture uh, like Caroline or just stare at a ladybug for 20 minutes, right? When do, do I have 20 minutes, right? Time, this big, yeah, but. And sure enough, I get it, right? I came home from my trip last, uh, last weekend, and Monday, I went to work. And I had to catch up on work. I had taken two days off. I worked right through lunch. I missed lunch that day. I just kept it in the fridge at school and ate it the next day. I had meetings nonstop. I was trying to catch up with students. I came home. I'm working with my daughters on their schoolwork. Uh, a couple of them had to do some catch-up as well. Um, took two daughters to sports practices that night. I mean, it's busy, right? I'm not saying, hey, what was me? It's just like the reality is you come back and life is busy, it's hard. It's time. So yes, I get it, right? It takes time. But what did Jesus say? Back to Luke 12, right? What did Jesus say when people said, woe is me, I'm anxious about this or that, what I have to do, my to-do list, my cell phone, my speedometer, because I have places to go, things to get done. He said, consider the lilies. I consider the birds. Consider takes a certain kind of pace, what my daughter did with that ladybug takes a certain kind of pace and a certain kind of awareness and a certain kind of reverence. I hope that I can live with that kind of reverence, that I can value and take the time to consider. There's a, a, a recent author that I've loved that writes a book, An Altar in Our World. Uh, it talks about different practices, and one of the practices of paying attention was, was kind of a, a focus of this chapter. And Barbara Brown Taylor writes this. She writes, To see takes time. Like having a friend takes time. It is as simple as turning off the television to learn the song of a single bird. Why should anyone do such things? I cannot imagine. Unless one is weary. Weary of crossing days off the calendar with no sense of what makes the last day different from the next. The practice of paying attention offers no quick fix for such weariness with guaranteed results printed on the side. Instead, it is one way into a different way of life, full of treasure for those who are willing to pay attention to exactly where they are. One of my favorite stories of paying attention, paying attention to exactly where they were, paying attention where they discovered a different way of life that was a treasure that awaited them, is the story of Moses. Flip to Exodus 3, or follow on the screen. You've probably heard this story, but maybe hear it with this. Hear it with, Moses is busy. Moses has some baggage. Moses is walking along, and he considers something. Moses 3 verse 1 says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And he's doing stuff. He's doing his job. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, that, uh, sorry, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Moses is doing his thing, right? He's got stuff to do, places to go, right? Herding the sheep, he's, 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 he's busy. And he sees something, he notices something, and he says, I will go over and see. It's my favorite line, right? It's a willingness. It's not just a considering, huh, oh, nice, ooh, pretty bug, pretty ladybug tea, right? Let's look at it. Let's notice it. Let's consider it. Consider the stars, It takes work to see that Andromeda galaxy. It took work for him to turn aside from his flock, from his duties, and say, I'm going to go over and see what this is. It was a willingness. And what did he discover? He discovered that God called him out of his past. His past is a murderer. His past is a refugee. His past fleeing, right, from his past life and his past sin. And saying, hey, here's the treasure that awaits you. Here's my calling in your life. I'm calling you home. But what did it take? It took his attentiveness and took his willingness. I'm attentive to nature around me. Here's God speaking to me. And here's, here am I. That's his response. Here am I. Oh, I love that story. May I be somebody that does that when I notice God speaking to me through nature. He could have responded other ways, right? He could have responded, oh, I must be crazy, right? Oh, no, okay, I must be crazy. He could have responded, I got plenty of stuff to do. I know those are my common responses. I, I, I've tried this, this practice, right? Let's, let's pray into a psalm or, hey, I'll pray at the start of a day sometimes or I'll pray when I walk into a room like, hey, God, what do you want to teach me today? Right? What do you want to say to me today? And then I go into a space or I feel like God's saying, hey, go talk to that person. Right? Go ask that person if they need something. Go ask that person if you can pray for them. Stop here for a second. And someone's like, really? Oh, I must be crazy. I'm not hearing that right. right? Or I'm like, oh, come on, I'm driving. I mean, I got to get somewhere. I got, I got a timetable here. I got a schedule. I clearly left my house at a specific time so I could arrive somewhere else exactly seven minutes on the button later, right? And stopping would mess that up. So I get it. Back to the yeah, but time. But I hope, I hope that I'm willing to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what that is. I'm going to see what that is. I'm going to follow that. I'm going to say, here am I. Here am I. Um, so I hope, right? And, and through that, he was changed. He was changed. As I was reading this uh, and, and thinking about considering, right, I thought about like, what, what is, God, what do you want to say to Moran Park? I, I, you speak to me a lot. What do you want to say? What's, what's, the, what's the takeaway here? And, and my, my landing point was, were a couple of challenges. These challenges might be awkward for us because we're not used to these things, right? We're not used to doing this in maybe our pace or our culture. So my first challenge is to not rely on this place to experience God. If Britain were here, he might say a big amen because I think that's been on his heart for years. Don't rely on a position or a pastor or four walls to experience God. God created all things and through all things all things were created for him, right? Man, 
when, uh, when, when, uh, when Jacob took a nap out in the desert back in Genesis 28, and he wakes up, he had a dream, and same dirt, same rocks, and he says, wow, surely God is in this place, and I missed it the whole time. How awesome is this? He even used the word awesome in the NIV, so that's why I like it. How awesome is this? Right? And he builds an altar. He says, this is where God is. Our society, there's always, right, there's good things. There are good things to have places to come and worship. But there's a shadow too. And that shadow is that sometimes we, we think we, like, we can just come and visit God on our own time. Right? And God could be here and then we could leave and maybe ignore him for the other days. Right? Don't ignore him. Ask. Ask, seek, knock outside of these walls to see God's presence, to see what treasure he has for you. Because I guarantee it, if you listen or if you notice and you turn aside and you say, here I am, there may be a treasure awaiting you that you walked past and you never noticed and it was there the whole time. May we experience God outside of these walls. That's one challenge, right? That's one challenge. So what does that look like practically? I don't know, right? That's a good answer, right? I don't know. Might be this. Go outside for 20 minutes. Just find a spot and just sit. Be uncomfortable, probably. Be uncomfortable, right? But just go sit and just look at the, the couple feet around you. Stare at the blade of grass. Stare at your hand. Stare at a leaf, right? Maybe we're getting to like winter season, so 20 minutes will be too long. But you, you, can, you get the idea. Go somewhere for 20 minutes with nothing else, right? Unplugged. One of my friends calls this um, prophetic daydreaming. Prophetic daydreaming. Go prophetic daydream, right? Why 20 minutes? Oh, I don't know, because it probably takes some time to get through all the noise of our day. It absolutely does, right? One of my favorite uh, biblical stories about uh, time uh, taking time to hear the voice of God or to see the Lord is the uh, is, is story of Elijah. Go up in the mountain. The Lord is passing by. Right? He had to wait through an earthquake. He had to wait through a fire. He had to wait through like, all this other stuff, all these other noises in life. And we get that, right? We get like, all these noises. And then, and, then, and then the whisper. And by the end, he's like, I, I can hear your voice. I can hear you clearly. I, I can hear you clearly. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's a practice. Maybe this week is different than the previous weeks of, hey, just listen to the psalm. You know, read the psalm every single day, which has been the challenge this fall. Read, read a psalm. Just ponder on a psalm. Maybe this one, just go outside and consider. Right? Do that. It takes practice. It takes a different kind of pace to develop reverence. First time you do anything new, it'll feel awkward. Guarantee it. Right? Guarantee it. Do it. Practice it. Um, maybe take a second look at things we would typically ignore. Right? Things you typically ignore. A ladybug, I typically ignore. Right? Well, we were taking family pictures on Friday, and my daughter again saw four ladybugs, and she was emphatic about telling me that she saw four on the side of a building. Daddy, four ladybugs. One, two, three, four, four. And I'm like, this is awesome. And I only saw three. Tell me where the fourth one is. And I'm just sitting here. This is so cool, right? Man, a, a child 
is telling me how I should be attentive to the world around me, how I should stand in awe. How many times do we need to repeatedly be reminded of that? I love that we've brought children on stage this fall to show what they've been learning about the Psalms. If you have a child downstairs, ask them. If you don't, hey, do it yourself with a childlike faith. That's what Jesus and God calls us to, right? That's what, that's what they, they, Jesus often referenced that, saying, hey, that is the kind of faith that I want to see. Maybe instead of uh, looking at things or nature that we typically ignore, maybe people. Um, I had a friend who once uh, set a challenge out for themselves that said, hey, I'm never going to drive by a broken car again. A broken down car. Broken car. A broken down car. I'm going to stop for that person. Uh, another, another friend, and I try and do this in my own life, I'm never going to go through a checkout line at a grocery store and just ignore the person. I'm going to look at them. Because to me, they're on the periphery of my life and my experience. But to them, I'm on the periphery of theirs. They have an experience right now that they're going through with God as well. And can I interact? Can I see that? Can I be in awe of that? Right? That they are created by God. Um, there's, a, there's a philosopher that I was reading a little bit from Paul Woodruff. He's a professor at University of Texas. Uh, wrote, a, wrote a book about uh, the forgotten, uh, forgotten practice of reverence. Uh, titled something like that. And talked about the more that we stand in awe or reverence of things above us, the greater likelihood that we will live with respect for those things beside or below us. I think that's nature and people included. From my own view, right, I think our society is lacking a level of respect to things beside and below. If you look at Psalm 8, verses 5 through 8, continue to uh, kind of play out this idea of like you're put in this position over these things, right? As a, as, as a man, as people. But notice that that comes after the proper perspective of looking up at the stars and saying, what is man? One takes you to a proper, uh, a proper position for the other. Maybe take a second look at the next people that you encounter. Right? Um, the, uh, yeah, the Good Samaritan is a great example of that. It's awesome uh, as well, right? Being attentive, being willing. I think that's good. Uh, if you go back to the Jacob story, uh, or, even, uh, or even Moses at times, right? Um, I think one thing that they did very well is when they encountered God, they built altars. They built altars for themselves to remember, but also for others to hear, to know. To know that God is in this place. So maybe for you, when you practice that this week, don't wait for next Sunday. Tell somebody. Tell somebody, man, I saw this this week, and it just blew my mind. And here's some freedom. You don't need to understand it. You don't need to understand light years or knee joints. You don't need to understand that stuff. You can just stand in awe of it and praise God for it. Create an altar in your life. We're going to move toward communion pretty soon here, but, uh, but let's, uh, let's quickly just praise God for his word and, uh, and sacred prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for you, for you being the creator of all things, 
through you creating each one of us here, for you creating the, the, the flowers, the birds, the stars, the realms that we cannot even see, the realms that we do not understand. Lord, may we be a people that stands in awe of that. That that proper positioning of standing in awe will, will reflect on our faces to those around us, will reflect in the way that we, that, we, that we walk, that we live, that we breathe, and that we shout about your name. Lord, that we point to you with the altars in our lives. Lord, I praise you for speaking to us this morning for speaking to us each and every day through your word, through the wonders of your creation, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Hebrews 12 is another spot that actually quotes Psalm 8, and I want to start there to lead us into communion really quickly. And, uh, and this won't be on the screen, but I want you to listen. Should I call the servers up? Okay, see, I've never, okay, it's good. I'm new, sorry. Uh, can, uh, can the servers come on up? That'd be awesome. The communion servers. That'd be great. Hebrews 2, verse 6, says this. But there is a place where someone has testified. This is great. The writer here is saying, hey, David testified way back when. There's a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You put everything under his feet. Quoting Psalm 8. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who, has, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God we might taste death for uh, he might taste death for everyone in bringing many sons to glory it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering but the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers them being you how incredible. God calls you and I brothers and sisters of Jesus through the suffering and the salvation found through the cross and the resurrection. It's now that we come to experience and remember the altar of that sacrifice, that we proclaim it to one another. And so we have the bread representing the body that was broken for you, and the cup represented the blood that was shed for you to make us family. Uh, some reminders, I think this is where I'd get lost, so I'm going to hand it over to Daniel.